When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, we are recording this at a pivotal time in uh, modern history. Uh, we don't know what uh, what the world will look like when today's episode publishes. We're, we're recording it about a week ahead. Uh, so we we looked into some stories that we thought uh, would surprise each other, uh, maybe things that are a, a little bit, dare I say, lighter fare for, for today's strange news. Uh, and hopefully, no matter what has happened between the time we record this and the time you hear it, uh, this will give you a this will give you a series of chuckles, a series of mysteries, and uh, something else to think about. Right. Well, and, and not and not only that, possibly uh, some good information for in the event that a, an extinction event takes place. Uh, you know, when 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 the 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 ish hits the fan after yeah. you know all of this. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Do you, uh, I'm excited to hear about that, that one. Yeah, no. I like that um, that foreshadowing. I think it works as a good segue. Noel, uh, do you want to do you want to kick us off with this story about a unusual doomsday vault? I think I might as well. I think it makes sense because this is, I just want to preface this. This story is both delightful and then ultimately is going to end in a place that is very, very fascinating and valuable to the human race, especially, you know, you future people now who have remained in the ashes of civilization that now surrounds you, one might assume. It's, it's, it's possible. It could, it could go a different way. We don't know. We're just rolling the dice here. I mean, we're, we're just, you know, you, no one can predict the future, but uh, you can make your best guess. So, yeah, uh, I'll just get right to it. Uh, you know, Nabisco, right? They make all kinds mm -hmm. of delightful mm -hmm. uh, confections, uh, treats, junk food. Um, now, let's not malign it with that term. Delightful cookies and, and things. Um, and one of their most popular brands um, and, and, and delightful confections is Oreos. 
which I think like Oreos sort of stole it from like the older version mm-hmm. of it that was called Hydrox, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And then Oreo is just better branding. Um, but you know, we know, we, you know what an Oreo is. It's two chocolate cookies sort of, uh, stamped with these cool little kind of filigreed markings. Have you ever really examined an Oreo cookie closely? It's very Baroque looking, you know, <laughs> the outside of the cookie and lots of ridges. looks like a, like a weird ancient coin or something. You got to talk about middle, that double mm-hmm. cross symbol. Oh, oh my gosh. On every Oreo. Are you serious? Yeah, dude. Nabisco's, uh, Nabisco's logo has, has the famous double cross on it. Okay. All right. Well, maybe that's a that's a discussion for a different day. Um, but sandwiched between those two uh, chocolate, clearly conspiratorial cookies is uh, the white stuff, the, the cream, um, as parodied by Weird Al in his uh, parody of the New Kids on the Blocks on the right stuff, only he called it the white stuff. And either one of those, whether it's the parody or the original, is very easy to get stuck in your head. But um, the social media team, as has kind of become a trend in even very obvious brands that have been around forever, you kind of got to get clever and like have like, you know, Twitter wars with like other brands and things like that. Like I think the Kentucky Fried Chicken um, social media team is notoriously snarky and maybe Burger King. There were a few that, that, that did some pretty good jabs against competition or even just against, you know, Internet trolls. Um, but the Nabisco uh, social team is no exception. And uh, they were looking around the internet for things that people were saying about Oreos. And apparently somebody tweeted about this potential uh, meteor event that people are referring to as the Election Day meteor that could potentially uh, come into contact with the Earth on the, uh, the 3rd, uh, on or around the 3rd of November. Election Day. And uh, someone tweeted like, oh, man, there's this meteor coming. Who's going to protect the Oreos? What's going to happen to the Oreos? And so this got this social media person thinking and was like, huh, well, let me do a little research. And um, she went down the rabbit hole of this idea of extinction level events and how do you kind of repopulate the world or, you know, uh, reseed all of the crops that are annihilated, etc. And she happened upon um, a story about this incredible doomsday vault in uh, in Norway, in a, in a place in Norway, like in the frozen tundra of Norway called Svalbard. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, this place that she found out about was the Svalbard Global Seed Vault, which um, is a storage facility. If you look at it, it's like literally coming out of the side of this, this glacial kind of like wall. And it looks like uh, what you would imagine maybe a James Bond villain's lair might look like in the Arctic. Um, but inside, it's essentially just a very um, organized and, and high-capacity seed vault. It's 500 feet deep. And it, uh, the idea is that it is, is to contain the various seeds, clones of the seeds, that uh, could reproduce every crop known to man that is currently relied on uh, in the planet. And so it's a, an international affair where all these other you know, countries are participating and sending along their seeds. And the capacity of the vault is 2.5 billion seeds um, and uh, 500 copies of each seed. And it's the coolest looking place. I couldn't recommend it highly enough just to check out just the visual of it. It's got these neat kind of you know, glowing, like almost like meter kind of lights, like you might see in like a server closet, but it's all mm-hmm. peeking up above the, the snow. Um, and so Nabisco's social team saw this and, okay, well, if they can do that for like seeds, we should be able to do that for like a single type of cookie that we make. And that's just what they did. Um, there's a, there's a video about it that they, uh, you know, it's obviously, you know, something of a genius marketing ploy because I've seen it written up, you know, all over the place. And this video they made, it really is, has this, it kind of rings true of like almost like a scientific thing. Everyone's talking about it very seriously about protecting the Oreos. And so they announced they were going to build this thing called the Global Oreo Vault. And it's just down the way from the Svalbard Global Seed Vault. 
and uh, it apparently was fast-tracked. This part kind of threw me, and I, I need to do a little more research, but they say they hired an architect by the name of Marcus Thorland, who uh, his, his goal and his ch- challenge, I guess, is design, to design and build the vault in just 30 days. Um, the seed vault took over two years. So one would assume that they're not, <laughs> they don't need to store as many Oreos as they do seeds. But then again, Oreos are larger than seeds. Um, so that's more details on that to follow, hopefully. But this is neat. The Oreos are stored in these like really cool space age Mylar packages. Um, they make a point in the video of, of, of mentioning that they can withstand temperatures of minus 80 degrees to 300 degrees Fahrenheit. And it locks out moisture and air. Um, and each of them come with a test tube of powdered milk. And they have a tweet where it says the global Oreo vault contains Oreo packs wrapped in protective mylar. Talks about the temperature. Tubes of powdered milk. Uh, just add snow and enjoy. Secret Oreo recipe, by the way. That's another thing that's going to be contained. And here's the secret Oreo recipe. Well, yeah. I don't well. know. Marketing, marketing genius. Mm-hmm. Um, a waste of resources. Oh, uh, I, 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 I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Yeah. I think it gives me the opportunity to say snack apocalypse, which is, hey. uh, which oh, is wonderful. Uh, I, I do have I do have a couple of interesting things. So longtime listeners, you know that we've earlier done some work on the Doomsday Vault, which is, I think, a fantastic idea. You know, uh, Doomsday Vaults are like hoarding in a useful way. Right, <laughs> and, right. And we should we should do more of that. We have these repositories uh, as far as Oreo themselves. Yeah, genius marketing move. And this, uh, I believe... Noel, correct me if I'm wrong here. This is going to, you said this is going to be on the archipelago of Svalbard, right? That's correct. It's very, very close to the seed vault. Like it just says, Ooh. it says down the road. And Ben, it, it actually has the exact location of the uh, Oreo Doomsday Vault in coordinates. And um, I think you, you're probably going to do a better job at reading these than I could. Yeah, that's uh, 78 degrees, eight minutes. And 58.1 seconds north, 16 degrees, one minute, and 59.7 seconds east. So if you wish, and you, you want to go on an Oreo adventure, um, no one's going to stop you. Presumably someone might stop you. I mean, I'm sure it's not, you can't just knock on the door and get in. It's probably uh, got some sort of time lock on it, or I don't know who has access to it. I actually heard about this story on the NPR quiz show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, over the weekend. And one of the panelists made the cute joke of, well, surely the uh, Oreo vault won't open until you've finished all of your vegetables in the vegetable vault. Ha-ha. There you go. Uh, I do want to say, though, if you want to check out the seed vault and if you want to check out the Oreo vault, if it's extant by the time you hear this, uh, like a lot of people, without diverting us too far from the story, like a lot of people, I've been uh, doing some digging into uh, migration and where the best places are to live in the coming centuries or so, and then uh, which countries will allow U.S. residents to move without an investor passport. Svalbard is a huge loophole. Norway is a tough country to move to unless you want to move to Svalbard Island, and then you could maybe take a stroll and visit the Oreo vault yourself. Uh, It is a visa-free zone. It is one of the only places in all of Europe, where you do not need a residence permit to live because it's so inhospitable between like, I mean, you can't see it on this map back here, but it's so inhospitable between like Norway and the North Pole that they just, they kind of want bodies. They they kind of want human beings to live there. Uh, But I don't want to pitch us on it, but guys, Noel, Matt, if you're excited about the, uh, the Oreo vaults, doomsday vaults in general, Svalbard may be the place for us. Uh, I was talking with our producer, codenamed Doc Holiday, about Svalbard fairly recently. Uh, it is cold. You got to like the cold weather. But the fact that we have all learned to work remotely during this pandemic means that we could live in Svalbard and still do this show. Uh, I don't know. Would you guys move there? 
Ooh, I don't know. If we had a proper, you know, properly outfitted bunker, I, I could be down. Yeah, the maybe. <laughs> if I if I had to, if I had to, I would. Sure. Uh, if we were I really at the risk of some theater. kind of near, well, yeah, movie theater, great. But if we were at, truly at risk of being impacted by you know a near Earth object or an asteroid such as. Uh, 2008 VP1, which is the reason this marketing campaign was spawned, right? Uh, then I would be, I would be, I'd be into it. But uh, just to jump quickly onto that that asteroid that is supposedly headed our way today, actually November 2nd is what I'm reading, uh, the day that we are recording this episode. Um, it is, it is coming very close to impacting earth but there's very is there's a very small likelihood that that will actually occur but the big thing you need to know if you are worried about this specific object is that it is very very small it is roughly two meters in diameter and if it were to make contact with the earth's atmosphere it would in all likelihood burn up on the way down to actually hitting the surface or at least to the most for the most part it would not cause anything, any anything major, uh, to occur on the surface. So you, everybody can rest easy. But yeah, uh, I think I think they were even saying like if you know I think it was like one in two hundred and forty three chance that it would even graze the atmosphere, and if it did, it would be vaporized. Yeah, it would just go poof. Um, but you know, just remember that there are hundreds and hundreds. And then perhaps thousands, actually definitely thousands of near-Earth objects that we haven't even mapped yet, that we don't even know are out there, mm-hmm. that are flying around us extremely fast. And a lot of them are huge and <laughs> could mm-hmm. potentially cause major damage slash extinction. Earth's career in space is like being the main character in a jump scare horror film when it comes to near-Earth objects, because we don't see them <laughs> until they're like right there. And then mm-hmm. we, you know, we have the jump and then we're like, oh, whew, that was a close one. All right, everybody continue mm-hmm. on. Uh, and we'll just keep playing this terrible, brutal cosmic lottery, which is what it is. Did we talk about the size of the asteroid? Roughly two meters. Yeah, I just, I just saw Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson referred to it as refrigerator sized, which I appreciate. Gives you kind of a visual there. Um, what would be the worst case scenario for a, for a space rock like that? Let's say like, you know, perfect. The stars aligned, pun completely intended. Um, and, and it, you know, crashed through or what, what would happen? Like if it was that size, it would obviously cause mm-hmm. a ruckus wherever it hit, but it wouldn't like be a extinction event or anything like no, that, right? No, it would not. No, and a significant amount of the mass on any near-Earth object that is entering the atmosphere will burn up, like mm-hmm. as it's hitting, or at least uh, it, you can never say a proportion of the mass of the object, but a an amount of mass will be stripped from whatever object enters the atmosphere at speed like that. Um, and since it is only refrigerator size, <laughs> you know, that's why the thinking is most of it would just poof into right. Really, uh, it's chemical makeup. But if you get anything over 140 meters in diameter, that's that's what's considered basically a planet killer or an extinction level object. Again, if it's perfect, like if we walk through yeah. the statistics, probably the most dangerous thing. A uh, f- wait. First off, I have to say this for all <laughs> the non-Americans in the crowd: it is hilarious. I've said this before, but it's just hilarious the lengths we will go to in this country to avoid using the metric system we can't say it's like it's a you know it's a refrigerator or it's like it's like (laughs) a deep freezer that also has a toaster on top don't bother thinking in meters but anyway yeah the so one of the worst things that could happen and one of the most unlikely things that would happen is for this to somehow perfectly hit a man-made functioning satellite and knocking that satellite. The odds against that are tremendous just because of the space and the speed involved. But if that happened, it could knock out a communications network. It could knock out whatever creepy stuff governments are doing in violation of the UN treaties out there in space. Uh, If it makes it to Earth, and like you said, Matt, a lot of it will burn out. So it wouldn't 
it wouldn't necessarily make it as a single object. It would make it as uh, increasingly particulate, uh, not aerosol, but you know what I mean? It would crumble up. It'd be uh, buckshot. It'd be buckshot. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Uh, it would. Oh, the odds are overwhelmingly likely if it's just coming from any point in space around the planet, the odds are overwhelmingly likely that it would hit the water, which covers mm-hmm. 71% of the planet's surface. So it wouldn't, the odds are good that it wouldn't hit like a mass metropolis. But then once you get past, to Matt's point, once you get past that 140 meters size, then the conversation becomes much different because something of that size, if it hit the atmosphere, if it went, through, if it graduated the atmosphere and uh, managed to hit the planet, uh, it would cause, it could potentially cause disastrous effects regardless of where it landed in terms mm-hmm. of like, natural disaster, in terms of flooding, tsunami, loss of life. Uh, But I'm sure there are a lot of us listening today saying, damn, this will be the year for it. It would. Get those Oreos in storage. (laughs) Yeah, well, and and think about what it would mean to humans just several hundred years ago. Like, what a harbinger this would be to have an asteroid coming over as power is... You know, changing hands. Changed. Yeah, I mean, this was really interesting. Yeah, Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson put it real succinctly, as you know, you ca- you kind of have to do in a tweet. Uh, he said, "It's not big enough to cause harm, so if the world ends in 2020, it won't be the fault of the universe." <laughs> yeah, I mean, when it comes to world-ending decisions, right now, human beings are the honors students, and have been for quite a while. Well, I think that's a good place to leave that one with the word of Dr. deGrasse Tyson and uh, and Dr. Ben Bolin. Um, <laughs> both both uh, giants in their fields. Um, I think we should take a quick break and then come back with some more, hopefully not super depressing news. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome back. Now we are turning our attention to Portland, Oregon. This is a cool place. Portland, Oregon. I don't know if you've heard anything about it. Uh, from from a culture perspective within the United States, Portland has has been one of those places that kind of is a trendsetter in a lot of ways. Um, cities like it and New York and Los Angeles are are places where I, I guess just trends are spawned a lot of times. Recently, in the past year or so, Portland, Oregon has been a bit of a flashpoint for uh, some of the change that is attempting to come into the world uh, socially here within the United States. Across this country, there have been, um, there have been outpourings of, of support for, for the movement, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter, and the, the movement to really shine a light on police brutality and killings. Mm-hmm. And, and in a lot of places in the country, support remains for these movements, but the active protesting has uh, faded a bit to the background where, um, and that's, that's not to say in every city, uh, in places like Atlanta and, and cities across this country, there are still active protests going on. But in Portland, it has really never stopped, it seems. The, the, fer- the fervor remains uh, in the fight for change there. And very recently, even up until I, b- I believe it was mid-October, when there was some, some heavy movement going on, uh, with the protests and with actions taken by law enforcement against some of these protests. And what we're going to talk about today is a specific reaction to, I guess, to some of this. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you could characterize it as unrest, but I guess just, um, I don't know. It's weird. It's almost, it's almost like negative vibes. So all of that is to set up, our traveling to Portland, Oregon right now to read a story from the Oregonian that we've been going to a lot lately or Oregon live. And this was posted on Halloween, October 31st, 2020. Here's the headline. Portland, San Francisco archbishops perform exorcisms following protests. Checks out. Uh Uh-huh. You may think (laughs) so. So exorcisms on individuals, perhaps? No, 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 no. Um, this is an exorcism that was performed essentially on the city or the, the people as a whole of the city of Portland, Oregon, following these protests that, that occurred in, I guess that have been occurring for many months now in Portland. So let me just jump down to, uh, the meat of this article and tell you what it says. In Portland, Oregon, Archbishop Alexander Sample led a procession of more than 200 people to a city park on October 17th, offered a prayer, then conducted a Latin exorcism rite intended to purge the community of evil. The event followed more than four months of racial justice protests in Portland, mostly peaceful, but sometimes fueling violence and riots. Again, those are the words of the Oregonian. Um, so this is a really interesting concept to me, and and it's not something that I have encountered before. We've covered exorcisms on this show many a time, but never the concept of exercising evil within a community in general or as a whole, rather than an individual 
who is supposedly affected by an evil spirit that yeah, would need like, to be exercised. I guess I, I guess I think about like maybe a cleansing ritual or like taking sage or, you know, smudging a, a, a space perhaps, but certainly not like an entire city. That's wild. It's certainly new for me. We're going to get into it a little bit further, but let's let's just let's remember that happening in Portland, Oregon on October 17th. We also need to know that on October 17th in San Francisco, California, a different archbishop, Salvatore uh, Cordelioni, he performed an exorcism outside of a Catholic church in San Rafael, where protesters had earlier toppled a statue of Father Junipero Serra. So again, this is this and this one is interesting to compare to the other, right? Because uh, in San Francisco, the right is specifically to exercise the evil out of the people who would who would cause a blasphemous act, such as toppling the statue of someone important to the church within that area. And the other one in Portland, Oregon, is to exercise the evil whatever it is that's causing that amount of uh, distress between individuals, between fellow man, I'm assuming. Um, and you can read more about it in a couple of places. There's one called Catholic Sentinel, where you can you can actually watch the procession that occurred in Portland, Oregon. You can hear uh, brief interviews from people who were there. Um it's a it's a fascinating fascinating thing. I just wanted to get your guys' opinions on it. I guess uh, what mm. what do you think about this kind of practice, and mm. wh- what do you think the what do you think the goal is here with this? Sure. Uh, well, at the risk of sounding cynical, uh, there are a couple things we would like to think that the goal is to bring some sort of spiritual balance. I would say we have talked about, okay, so exorcism itself in the Catholic sense is a very brand name, and it has very specific rituals, uh, but we have to remember multitudes of other faiths practice something very much like this. You may have, in a way, uh, practice something like exorcism when you move into a new house and you burn sage, which they call smudging, right? That is you, uh, if you believe in this process, purifying that space. So it's not too dissimilar, but it is incredibly unusual for the Catholic Church to officially co-sign this kind of thing. Uh, the, the cynical part would say that all religion is about social control, so this could be a reassuring thing to some uh, some members of the faithful in those respective cities, in Portland and San Francisco. Uh, I, I believe it's either the Oregonian or another, maybe the AP report mentions uh, an incident that's similar to this in 2015 in Mexico, right? Yeah, but that one was different. That was, well, I guess it's similar, but it's larger scale. That That one was carried out... I don't know. I don't have the specifics on who carried out that particular exorcism in Mexico, but allegedly it was to expel demons nationwide, and they were responding to levels of violence within the country, and uh, specifically against crimes of gr- of drug cartels as well as the practice itself of abortion. Um, yikes! Uh, that's interesting stuff. But yeah, I know I totally hear you. With you know, exorcisms are are far far and wide used it's a it's a process that is used in many religions many faiths um i i i guess it's just the concept of expelling the evil in a massive area uh, mm-hmm. it's almost like a area I, i'm thinking of i think area of, in of terms effect. of yeah like mmos or <laughs> rpgs right. like it's you're you're casting a a wide uh, a wide exorcism and you know it's mm-hmm. a much higher level than an individual targeted exorcism. Does that require more like powerful relics or like certain skill set? I'm not mocking here. I'm I'm really yeah. wondering mm-hmm. like what what how does Well, it's interesting because the same it, they're very similar rites that are read. And the uh who was who was the gentleman Archbishop Alexander Sample, uh he actually conducted it specifically in Latin. So he conducted a, a traditional exorcism rite in Latin in the language. 
And he remarked, uh, oh, this is Cordelioni who who uh, did the exorcism in San Francisco. He uh, said, Latin tends to be more effective against the devil because he doesn't like the language of the church. Um, fascinating stuff. And again, that's mm-hmm. personal belief. Sure. That's personal belief, and it's shared by, you know, countless people on mm-hmm. this planet right now. Um, it's not our place to say that is right or wrong. It's just uh, a fascinating concept that in 2020, this would still be done, and this practice would still be done. Um, and then, oh, what was the other thing? It reminded me of exercising a house mm-hmm. ra- rather than exercising a person, right? And it, like mm-hmm. you were talking about cleansing rituals, uh, smudging, using sage or something, but using an using the exorcism right to do that rather than uh, other methods. And, Isn't that sort of what happens in Poltergeist? And this was a major right, right? Ver- yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. This house is clear. Mm-hmm. There, so this is a major exorcism, uh, not a minor exorcism. I think a lot of, a lot of non-Catholics get a little confused there. A minor exorcism is a, it, it can be thought of like a purification uh, ritual that you would encounter as a safeguard maybe, like during a baptism. I believe it's it's often a bap, baptismal rite is often referred to as a minor exorcism, but this would be the major form, the idea of the expulsion of demons and to the question about high level uh, exorcisms, the major exorcisms do have to have the green light from uh, the from the church, from the Vatican. You have to and you have to be a bishop, I think, or you have to have a bishop explicitly grant you as a priest permission to conduct a major exorcism. But hold on, you might be saying, how does this apply to cities that are not 100% Catholic? You know what I mean? There are multitudes of faiths in these large areas. The one thing I can find is that the way I understand it, uh, priests are in some extenuating circumstances, allowed to conduct exorcisms on people who are Christian, but not themselves Catholic. Is that correct? I think it's on a case-by-case basis when it comes to that. At least my understanding is that you have, again, you're talking about getting permission from a bishop, and mm. generally it is on a someone of the Catholic faith. But if it is not someone of the Catholic faith, it's almost like an arrangement has to be made. And the person probably needs to believe in some denomination of Christianity. Okay. I'm glad I'm on base there because, yeah, like I was saying, the extenuating circumstances seem to make it a case-by-case thing. And even if those folks in question are not themselves Catholic, uh, the church's position is still uh, still remains the same, that someone can only get an exorcism or apply for an exorcism after they've been examined by medical professionals, possibly psychiatrists, things of that nature. So you can't just say— this house is unclean, <laughs> someone exercised me, you have to prove it. And let's just, uh, I mean, maybe this is stating the obvious, but I mean, the Vatican holds like conferences to train priests in the rite of exorcism. This yeah. is like an inextricably part of the Catholic faith. This isn't some rogue thing. It is absolutely a part of the tenets of Catholicism, at least at that high level. Well, there there's some weird stuff going on there, and I I didn't want to go down this rabbit hole, but I'll, I'll let me just tell you a little bit about a place called Pope Leo the Thirteenth Institute. This is a this is a not for profit five hundred one c charitable organization. Um, it is a really strange thing that that's located in Libertyville, Illinois, and you can go there, and if you are I believe there are clergy only classes that they offer and then there are layperson classes and other classes that they offer but it is specifically an exorcism curriculum uh, that is taught here at this school and it's generally done in four four different uh, essentially semesters or classes 10 day periods where you go and you learn about certain things and I was going to read off some of this curriculum really quickly Oh, and by the way, they are registration is closed for the 2020 2021 uh, year. So sorry for you if you're wanting to sign up. <laughs> but, sorry for your but there sorry are four modules. Your sorry for your demons. Mm. Apologies for that. There are four modules here. Um, you know, demonology, angelology, um, foundations of exorcism within canon law, discernment of spirits. Fascinating stuff. Um, psychological or uh, demonic diagnosis, 
psychology of demons versus human psychology, demonic counterfeits, esta- oh, what is this? Um, the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Exorcist, Satan and the Spiritual Life, according to St. John of the Cross. There's all kinds of really fat. I mean, like, I want to I learn all that stuff. That sounds exciting Ooh. to me. Um, but surely there's these. a prerequisite for even getting in, right? Other than just yes. paying tuition. Uh, yeah, yeah. you have a- to be a priest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which just just so everybody knows, and this is not a ding on the priesthood. It being a priest has some other lifestyle qualifications that uh, are challenging to a lot of people. Everybody knows the one I'm talking about. Wearing that white little collar thing that seems like it would be constrictive. Yeah, I think it has something else to do with your the pants area. Oh, okay, constricting, <laughs> um, constricting elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, I see. Um, so no, no, not really. No, no joke here. So there is no such thing as a sexually active priest. It, it is. It is just part and parcel. With I mean, there is one, of course, mm, but like if you get found out, different show. It's it's bad news. Okay. They, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, there were. I mean, there, there well, were also hopes of plenty with illegitimate children. Yeah, and well, and also there are you know there are some forward-thinking sects within the Catholic Church, maybe that have split off or are slightly on the fringes of the Catholic Church that have been making changes there. And if you are a member of one of those. Uh, specific churches that has been forward thinking about some of this stuff. I'd, we'd love to hear from you. Um, but one thing that is maybe not so forward thinking is that if you want to take these classes over a two year period, which is going to equate to about 40 days of your time, you have to pay, you have to pay $10,200 us. So Ooh, I think he's <clears> making <throat> an even 10. Wait, what's the extra two for? Wow. You know, the, these round down catering. Uh, yeah, it looks like they want to exercise your wallet first. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh, I know I, I know we might be running a little long on this one, but Matt, you know what I have to bring up. We can't talk about Catholicism and exorcisms without mentioning my main man, Gabriel Amorth, the former chief exorcist of the Catholic Church, who also uh, conducted some relatively unorthodox exorcisms. I think uh, Harry Potter was involved at one point. Yeah, for sure. The The character, not not the actor. Right. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Um, no, it's true. Uh, definitely look up that name and look listen back to our episodes where we covered him. This is what I want to leave this on, and this is it, I promise. We'll get, we'll get out of here. This is a statement from Archbishop Sample, who performed the exorcism on Portland or in Portland. And this is this is coming from the Catholic Sentinel at, you can find it at catholicsentinel.org. Here's a quote. The Catholic Church takes the promotion of unity and accordingly peace as belonging to the innermost nature of the church. For this reason, the church fosters solidarity among peoples and calls peoples and nations to sacrifices of advantages of power and wealth for the sake of solidarity of the human family. Now, that is a statement that is broad enough for, you know, really anyone to understand and really to agree with. I completely agree with that. It's time to make sacrifices where there are advantages and, you know, bastions of power for everyone. And mm-hmm. how could you how could you be against that? And the the archbishop in and the church is exercising that belief through this exorcism. And just because I don't understand it doesn't mean it's weird. Well there's a really neat article that I found just while Googling this while you guys were talking. Um from Vice from 2018, and says these occult exorcists say the Catholic Church makes demons worse. Uh, if the person in need of an exorcism isn't a Christian, then why do they have to call a Catholic priest? And, and it just talks about like the intent behind an exorcism, how it's just about pointing towards a malevolent force or a force of some kind, acknowledging it and then commanding it, and that it isn't some... You know, this is all assuming that, that, that this stuff is real and on any level to begin with, but it's not like Catholic priests run the gamut on being able to exercise malevolent forces or dark forces, and that oftentimes they don't understand or have the knowledge to even properly do it, you know, according to, to the, some of the Satanists that are <laughs> theistic Satanists, actually, that are uh, interviewed for this piece. Uh, theistic Satanists. Theistic Satanists. Okay. Yeah. Interesting right. article. We covered that on a- 
on our earlier um, earlier work on Satanism, uh, and that's it's it's fascinating because technically the Catholic Church does not conduct again as we said earlier, exorcisms on non-Christians. On a case-by-case basis, a non-Catholic Christian uh, may be subject to an exorcism. But uh, again, like think, I don't know, the weirdest thing is years ago, we did an episode on whether exorcisms are on the rise inside and outside of the Catholic Church. And what we found is that they are, and the trend continues, and it's accelerating today. It's accelerating, I think, in great part due to widespread social uncertainty. People are scared. Uh, some of the norms are eroding at a, like more quickly than glaciers. Uh, but what's interesting, too, about this uh, is the exorcism in San Francisco and the exorcism in Portland were Based off, we're probably based off the new exorcism guide that just got published in like uh, July of 2020. There's there's a I brand am, new book. Yeah, in I town. don't know. You have to be a bishop to read it, so I haven't. Ah, oh, I haven't got there. Man, yet. again. Well, you know what they did do, just in case something went down. Uh, according to the Catholic Senate, they brought nine burly. That's a quote: burly Knights of Columbus. To, uh, to Does that post. mean they're thick and with two C's? I no, it just means they're like they're Knights of Columbus. They they protected the procession and the exorcism. They're right. burly. <laughs> that means they're like big boys, right? Well, yeah, they'll protect them, man. Okay, all right. they're they're knights. Okay, muscular. Uh, the connotation of hairiness. They're his suit, perhaps. Uh, well, I'm glad they were protected. Let's see what happens. You know, I wonder. Just to be completely objective, I wonder if there's going to be a period of time in the next, I don't know, two months, three months or so, where we can see any notable differences between what's happening in Portland and what's happening in San Francisco and what happens in other cities. I don't know what the differences will be, but uh, it'd be interesting to see a follow-up from the exorcists themselves about their work in the near to mid-future. Well, maybe we can find somebody that can exercise the entire country just to be safe. Just to be sure. Yeah. Surely there's some malevolent forces out there somewhere. Uh, yes. Let's just do it. Let's exercise everything. Let's put let's put some bishops in the ISS before it go. goes away and just bless the entire planet from that vantage point. I think that would be smart. I think you're onto <laughs> it. Uh, also, also, yeah, we're just blessing the podcast here. Uh, also, uh, you know, I. I think that's a brilliant idea. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily offensive to anyone, right? Uh, we just need to start stockpiling sage. You know, I wonder, could they bless holy water? Like, could you bless an entire ocean to render it into holy water? I'm not being flip. I'm, I'm genuinely asking. I just don't know how the process works. Let's Let just know. become, let's become bishops and make it happen. Yeah. Any bishops out there? Priests? Junior bishops? Former priest, we'd love to. We'd yeah. love to hear from you. Oh, demons! Can do demons use email? Especially write to us if you're a demon. A voicemail would be even better. The Pope, I I imagine you are busy. So write to us if you have a personal experience with exorcism. We've asked about this before, uh, and it, we don't directly mean that you have to have been involved with one, but your knowledge of it, uh, the process, the history, or the future of exorcism. Because again, as we've said in previous episodes, uh, exorcisms are provably, Catholic and non-Catholic alike, are provably on the rise and have been for a number of years. And we'll be right back with some more strange news. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. 
Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back uh, in in this uh, in these uncertain times with Nabisco hoarding all the Oreos they can, uh, preserving them for the future. Exorcisms on the rise, entire cities hopefully being cleansed of evil energy. Uh, we wanted to leave you a little bit of a little bit of a palate cleanser. Uh, not sure what to call this segment, but I pitched it to the guys off air. I'm finding a lot of stories of people who are somewhere between Darwin Award worthy and somewhere between like unsung, very niche heroes or vigilantes. This story falls more on the Darwin Award side of it. Uh, there is a person named Lisa Landon of New Hampshire. Lisa Landon is k- kind of brilliant. Kind of brilliant. She certainly got some chutzpah. She was going to court uh, for drug possession and a stalking case. To be clear, she was the stalker. Lisa Landon was the stalker. And uh, she was going to court in Hillsborough County. However, something bizarre happened in November. The prosecutors of Hillsborough County started to get suspicious. They heard back from a state forensic examiner who had been scheduled to perform what's called a competency evaluation on Landon. It's like, are you fit to stand trial, basically? And the examiner called the prosecutors because they they said, hey, look, I noticed that you all totally dropped the charges against Lisa Landon for drugs and for stalking. Uh, should I 
And they, they weren't being hyperbolic. They were just like, look, dude, I got other competency evaluations. Should I move on or do I need to do this since this person is apparently not going to court? The file, th- this was news to the prosecutors, by the way. Uh, Assistant County Attorney Patrice Cassian noticed that apparently their office had filed to drop the charges against Landon. And they were hunting down. Imagine yourself in the office that day. You're hunting down all your colleagues and you're saying like, hey, who let this alleged stalker just back into the wild? That's crazy that no one told me because I'm your boss. I should, we should run these things through, uh, through the proper channels. Here's what happened. Uh, Lisa Landon impersonated a prosecutor and dropped the criminal charges against herself, which is just chef's kiss. I, 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 we hear all the time about how local government databases and interfaces may not be as secure as they should. Uh, and this, this person gives proof to it. She basically, 90s movie hacker style, got into the system, posed as a prosecutor, and uh, she is now being charged with one charge of false personation, six charges of falsifying physical evidence, and uh, I think I think the stalking is back on <laughs> is back on the docket. So I wanted to bring this kind of like blotter true crime story to you guys because I want your opinion. If someone is smart enough, capable enough to do this, should they let the charges ride? I mean, I don't. I mean, (laughs) have you seen? I need everybody to go to unionleader.com and search, search for this, find it, and look at Lisa's mugshot. More like a mugshot. If you, if you look at her, if you look at her smirk. Yeah. She knows what she oh, that did. Oh, that was a bad too. It's it is wild. <laughs> She's yeah, like looking directly into it, your soul. Her face is front and center there. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, so, so the uh, the thing that's the thing that's interesting about it. I mean, being a little glib, of course, you shouldn't get off of a drug and stalking charge or drug and stalking charges just because. Uh, you're clever and have a million dollar smirk. Uh, what she did uh, was exploit the court's electronic filing system. Let's keep in mind also this is happening during the age of COVID, right? So she's not, uh, she doesn't have to be in person as much or as often as someone would ordinarily have to be. The question now is whether impersonating a prosecutor itself is a crime. In addition to, you know, submitting fake papers. And that's where it gets kind of interesting because prosecutors are not explicitly mentioned in the list of people you can be prosecuted for impersonating. So is a prosecutor a law enforcement officer? I mean, the answer is probably yes. But if you get a good like Clarence Darrow type in there, a legal lion in the courtroom, maybe they can make an argument, you know. Hey, maybe this will be grounds for uh, a competency evaluation that she'll fail. Who knows? (laughs) That's amazing. No, you guys, I'm going to go ahead and call it. This one's going all the way to the Supreme Court, for sure. (laughs) I think you're right on the money with the impersonating prosecutors thing. She, She just went on their electronic filing system, submitted some documents, and (laughs) she would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those pesky other prosecutors and document filers and checkers. You got to appreciate the, the, the chutzpah though, you know, just because uh, a lot of times what you see when people do things like this, that you think are just impossible. It's just like the opp- finding the opportunity and then taking the risk, you know what I mean? And then seeing where the chips fall uh, and you know, it can work. Like, I don't know. Like I said, I, I, I've mentioned, I mean, not on this show, but I've been watching, uh, the Fargo TV series a lot. And there are a lot of criminal masterminds in that show that just coast on their ability to do things that they think no one else is brazen enough to do. And, and that's a lot of times <laughs> a superpower in and of itself. 
Very true. Like the guy with the masks at the ATM with the with the old man mask, you know, robbing all the ATMs at the uh, at the casino. You know what I mean? It's just so ridiculous. It totally worked for a time. Or or the uh, oh god, I learned a lot about bank robbers recently uh, when I found out that a friend who had unfortunately passed was a career bank robber. Um, and listen to this show. Uh, and I got to tell you, the bank robbing, first off, did the math for a brain stuff video. You don't make a lot of money, but it encourages creativity. There was a case here in Georgia where somebody uh, robbed, uh, did an impersonation robbery where you pay a bunch of people to be like extras or background actors. And then you dress like that. You have them all dressed the same. You dress like them. You rob the bank. And then that guy, like another guy, uh, Wait, a guy did that and then literally ran to the nearby river where he had a, a inflatable raft waiting and made his getaway. And he's like, he hasn't been caught. Uh, I don't know. Wow. We want to we hear your stories, folks. What are some of the craziest legal shenanigans or most creative crimes that you've heard about? Uh, or if you wish to remain anonymous, the things you got away with personally. Uh, we won't stitch, but if it's a good story, we would like to share it on air, doing as much as we can to preserve your identity. As McGruff always said, take a bite out of crime. Crime doesn't pay unless you are in politics or banking. And he also says, Scruff McGruff, Chicago, Illinois, 60652. Scruff McGruff, don't take no guff from crooks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our show today. Uh, Maybe we'll do, maybe we'll do like, the, we'll figure out a good name for this segment. Florida man's already taken. That's a little bit unfair to the state of Florida. We did an episode on why. So check that out. Uh, but before we go, just a quick shout out to an absolute mad lad over in Germany who has uh, created an electronic means of constantly ordering ice cream from every single McDonald's entirely to see whether or not the ice cream machine is broken. I don't know whether it's the hero we need, but it, it's a great story. Check it out for yourself uh, and let us know what other strange news is happening in your neck of the global woods. We try to be easy to find. Uh, you can find us on the internet. We're all over it. Instagram, Facebook, uh, Reddit, maybe, uh, and then also Twitter. The other one, Twitter. That's the one. Thank you, Matt. Uh, we like to recommend. Here's where it gets crazy. That's our Facebook community page where you can find our favorite part of the show. Your fellow listeners. Yes, for sure. And check out YouTube where we are conspiracy stuff. YouTube.com slash conspiracy stuff. That's my son back there that you can't see, but he he is present. Right now, as I'm saying this. Hey, Ryder. <laughs> oh, there he is. Tell them where, where else they can reach us, Ryder. They can call us, can't they? Give us a call. <laughs> you know the number. You already know what it is. It's 1-833-STDWITK. And if none of that quite stirs your coffee, never fear. We have one more way for you to get in touch with us, pandemic notwithstanding, wherever you are, whatever time it is, you can send us a good old-fashioned email where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. A new season of Bridgerton is here. 
And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.